Over the past uh, two weeks, I've been teaching a series titled, Let's Talk. And so today is the final teaching on that particular series. First week was, let's talk about pain. Last week, let's talk about faith. Today, let's talk about truth. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. I'm going to camp out there. The Bible has a lot to say about truth. In fact, you'll find that Jesus often have had what I call pivotal conversations that when you listen very intently in your heart, you're changed also, much like the very people that he was talking to in the first century. But every day that we open the newspaper or we click to our favorite news media site on our computers or iPad or, or smartphone, we're always reminded of the necessity of truth because we see a lot of people going through scandals based on lies. Do you remember Bernie Madoff just a couple of years ago? This, he swindled billions of dollars, all built on a lie, a Ponzi scheme. And then even more recently in the media, we find Jussie Smollett and the scandal that went bad, and that's still working its way through the court system. But let's talk about truth and the role of truth in your life and the primacy of it in your life. John 8, verse 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I must say that most people misinterpret this verse. They just take verse 32 and they pull it out of isolation, out of its context. And they say, you know, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. True, good, but what Jesus was saying was not merely just communicating facts that are truthful and honest. He was saying to his listeners, his audience, he's saying, look, if you hold to my teaching, let the body of what I explain, express, convey to you that is informative and substantive and a life way, so to speak. If you let that get inside of you and have its home and, its, and find expression in you, then you'll become my disciple, my disciplined follower. At that point, you'll know the truth. At that point, the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? From confusion, from ambiguity, from moral darkness, from philosophical conundrums and confusion. The truth will set you free from legalism and superstition and hypocrisy and sin. See, the truth is powerful. And in the audience there, there were a lot of religious people in Jesus' day as he's teaching primarily religious Jews that somehow shielded themselves from really being impacted by the truth because they made claims that, well, we're of the seed of Abraham. So therefore, we really don't have to, to, you know, to, to go through personal growth and transformation and reflection and any kind of spiritual change. No, we're good. That's not what Jesus was telling them. 
So he, the centerpiece of the conversation he had with his religious audience was, let's talk about truth. Do you know that it was in 2016 that the Oxford Dictionaries chose the word post-truth, P-O-S-T dash T-R-U-T-H, as the international word of the year. Post-truth, it's an adjective that simply means that people's opinions were shaped more by emotional appeals than the objective facts. In other words, don't tell me the truth. Make me feel good. And when you make me feel good, that'll influence me more than the objective truth. But when you realize all of that, your truth, my truth, well, that sounds good in a political atmosphere. But when it comes down to it, the absolute truth is what's going to impact us. And what you find out is that truth, absolute truth, is unavoidable. What you believe really does matter. And what Jesus was saying is that when you know the truth, the objective truth, the absolute truth, you'll find that that truth has power to set you free and to liberate you. See, the truth requires courage. Because when you see yourself the way you really are, it can be disconcerting. It can be a little bit frightening. If you want the many benefits that truth provides, you got to be open with it to face it. My wife used to tell me for years, honey, you're not in touch with the emotions of people around you. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. And it wasn't like I was being difficult, or I didn't want to see myself. It just didn't make any sense to me intellectually. So I said to her, I, 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 I don't see it. And one day I was coming to work on a Tuesday, and I was walking to my office, and I saw Pastor Ron, and I said, hey, Ron, how are you doing? And he said to me, he said, one of my cats died. Now, he and his wife, Carol, they've never had children, and they love cats. And so he said, one of my cats died. And so I said, how many do you have left? <laughs> and... I had no idea that I was being insensitive, callous, and not seeing myself. And he was so gracious, he didn't correct me. And then, in a week or so, my executive team, they gathered together and said, Pastor, you have a problem. And we want to help you with that. And I didn't realize that I had a problem until not only that incident occurred, but other incidents occurred that were spiritual in nature, one of which was a dream. And in the dream, I was in a radio studio. And I was accustomed to radio because many years ago, I used to have a national radio program. And so I was accustomed to it in the natural. But here I am in a dream having this this, this uh, I mean, in the room with the, in, a, in the radio studio with the radio hosts and about three or four other pastors, and our responsibility was to answer technical Bible questions. And so they threw questions at us, and 
I answered it when it was my turn. I grounded it in the scripture and I connected with the audience, whether they're driving in their car, at home washing dishes, or at work, you know, and working on their computer and listening to the radio. I knew how to connect with them. Second round came around. They threw a question. Each of us answered it. I grounded it when it was my turn in scripture and then unpacked it. And then I felt good about my answer. And then the dream ended. And I woke up in my bedroom and I could sense the presence of God envelop me. And I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? And the Lord said, David, you know how I think, but you don't know how I feel. So I started weeping uncontrollably because I saw that I had a problem. And I didn't know I had it until the truth of it was presented to me. Then I find myself sitting with a person who's trained to help executives get in touch with their emotions. And I did that for the next eight months. So I can find out what was turned off inside that needs to be turned back on. I say all that because it took a lot of courage. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, A Few Good Men. Anybody? Well, there's this memorable scene in that movie and Tom Cruise was an attorney in that movie. And his job was to defend two Marines that were charged with the crime of murder. But he wanted to get to the truth to see if indeed that they committed that crime that was accidental. Or did they just follow the orders of their commanding officer, Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson? Did Colonel Jessup give them the order and then they followed through? The order called a code red. It's like a hazing for this weaker Marine they wanted to beef up. And so now they're in the courtroom. And Tom Cruise is, is, is hammering at Jack Nicholson who's sitting in the, in the bench there as he's being questioned in the courtroom. And so the question comes on the topic of truth. And Tom Cruise is hammering and trying to get at the truth and get Colonel Jessup to admit the truth. And then all of a sudden, Colonel Jessup, he just snaps because the truth is serious. So you must be able to handle it when it's presented to you. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, why did he Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut cases. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had Marcus inside a bony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! Captain, you coerced the doctor! Consider Not yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Every time I watch that scene, I think that Jack Nicholson is not acting. I just think that I just think that's just how he is. I just it, it, it's it's too natural. It just it's too natural. But he makes the information very plain. You got to be willing to handle the truth. John fourteen verse five. It says this. Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was telling us that life is very complicated. And even our own perception of ourselves can get very, very mixed up. And we can find ourselves losing our way, lacking objectivity. And then Jesus lays down for us this information. In essence, he's saying, look, I am your road map. Follow me. I'm the way. And then he says, I am the truth. See, truth is so important that if you don't become a pursuer after truth, you'll never really find the freedom and the level of life that you really want and the kind of life that you really want to have. In fact, when you think about 12-step recovery programs, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, or even Sex Addicts or Gamblers Anonymous, whatever the kind of recovery program, you'll find that the essential steps require you to have to deal with the truth. Step one in Alcoholics Anonymous, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. They had to realize the truth is unavoidable. you got to face it. Step four in Alcoholics Anonymous, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. They recognize to get free, the truth is unavoidable. Step five in AA, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. See, the truth is unavoidable if you want victory and freedom and a flourishing life. Step eight in Alcoholics Anonymous, made a list of the persons, of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Again, I say the truth is unavoidable. If you want to get set free from bondage, failure, or if you're losing your way, come back to the truth. And the beauty is that the truth is not just, just information. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. That word life in the Greek, which the New Testament has written, is the Greek word zoe, the God kind of life, the flourishing life, the thriving life, the satisfying life, the life that we always long to have. Jesus says, I am that life. In the middle of the city of London, in the centerpiece of that city, there's a Charing Cross, C-H-A-R-I-N-G, the Charing Cross. And it became this landmark that it was right in the center of that city. And people used it as a geographical direction. And one day, this little boy got lost. And he went up to this London bobby or police officer. And he's just crying. And he said, sir, I'm lost. And the officer said, son, where do you live? And he said, I, I just, I don't know. And he was so small, he didn't know his address. And the officer tried different ways to try to get the answer and try to get some clue. And the little boy just wept aloud and sobbed because he just had no idea. And then he paused and he started to sniffle as he's drying his tears. And he says, officer, if you can just take me to the cross, I'll know my way home from there. That's what I want you to know. The truth is unavoidable. And if you've been searching, looking for meaning in life, come back to that centerpiece. Jesus is that centerpiece, and you'll find your way from there. Not only is the truth unavoidable, the truth is unmistakable. 
You, you gotta, when you know the truth, it can expose a lie very easily. It's unmistakable. My younger brother and I, his name is Norman, we sound almost exactly alike. In fact, when we were young, we looked almost like twins. And I was always sarcastic. People would stop and say, are you guys twins? And I said, no, we're triplets. And I'll just keep going. <laughs> so we went to the same college, did essentially the same major. I did mechanical engineering. He did electrical engineering. And when he, sometimes I'd visit him in his dorm, and he went off to, to his class. I'm sitting there just doing my work. The phone rings in his dorm. That's back then before he had cell phones yet. <laughs> and phone would ring in the dorm, and so I'd answer it. And they said, hello. I said, hello. And they said, Norman, what's going on? I said, this is not Norman. And so they wouldn't believe me. And so they'd ask me a question. You know, think it was Norman, some engineering questions. I answered it. They said, thanks, Norman. They hang up. I hang up. Fast forward, we both graduated, both working in our respective jobs in different states. I gave Norman a call on a Friday from my job. I, I said, hello, may I speak to Norman, please? When the receptionist answered, she said, Norman, this is Friday. I don't feel like fooling around. I, I'm, I'm tired of this. No jokes. I just, you know, it's been a long day. I, I, I want to just go home and just rest. I said, this is not Norman. She said, did you hear what I said, Norman? Stop fooling around. And so when I said this is not, I said it again, this is not Norman. When I said that, Norman walked right by her workstation. And so you should have just heard the gasp on the other end of the phone. See, she'd gotten us mixed up like my mother and our, my, our, our father would get us mixed up when we call because our voices sound almost alike. In fact, our mannerisms are very similar. But truth is not similar to a lie. Truth is unmistakable. In John 8 verse 41, it's almost as if Jesus rubs his hands together and, and says, okay, you know, these guys, talking to his religious audience, I, I'm going to really just shoot straight with them in such a way that they'll get it. because They didn't get it before. And so verse 41 says, you're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Now, how would you like Jesus to say that to you? I mean, it's like, it's like fighting words. Jesus, I, I don't care. Let's, let's, uh, let's just fight. It's, Jesus was just communicating to them in such a clear way. He said, look, guys, you guys are hypocrites. You say one thing and you do another. You teach one thing and you live another way. You're so jaded. You're so insincere. There's no truth in you. Because if there was truth in you, you'd love me. Because if you individuals say that you're followers of God, you would know that God sent me and you'd love me. He said, but you're not loving me. Because what your father did, you're attempting to do. And I say, oh, father, yeah, Satan. <laughs> in case you didn't get it. 
It's amazing. And when he uses that term hypocrites in the first century, that word hypocrite was a word that depicted an actor on the stage. So like I'm on a stage, but the actor on the stage would say their lines from behind the mask. So imagine me having this mask, like almost like a Halloween mask, and then it's connected to a pole or a stick. And as I speak to you, you don't see my face. You don't really know what I look like. You just see this mask in front of me and you hear my words. Jesus said to these religious leaders, you guys have no truth in you. You guys are so insincere. You guys are duplicitous because you speak your words from behind a mask and we don't get a chance to really see who you are. And then he says, you're connected to your father. And they're thinking, Father Abraham. He's like, no, not Father Abraham. Father Satan. Whoa. See, what Jesus is saying is this. When we lie, it makes us jaded inside. It's almost like picking apart pieces of ourselves and we get hardened. And something happens where we start walking in more and more darkness. Because God is truth. God is light. And when you pursue the truth, it's what Augustine says. Where I found truth, there found I my God, who is the truth itself. See, all truth stems from God. I'd never be afraid of the truth. The truth is never going to be something that is unmistakable or is never going to be something that is going to be harmful even though it may hurt sometimes. Never be afraid of that. In fact, Jesus called himself the truth. And the scripture calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth who's sent into the world to convict the world of sin and to illuminate truth to us. So I want us to always be truth seekers and truth tellers and truth modelers. Something beautiful happens. You know, when you study even the topic of leadership, I was shocked at some of the statistical data as to what are the qualities that leaders look for in people that they would follow. In fact, in 1986, the American Management Association did a technical study asking 1,500 managers nationwide, what kind of leaders would you as a leader follow? 225 character traits was unearthed in the survey. The number one trait was credibility. We will follow a leader who is trustworthy and proves him or herself to be credible honest. Number four was forward-looking. So it wasn't even being sharp. They repeated the study again years later, and they were able to come up with this. They came up with the same exact answer. Many times we think that people are going to follow individuals because they're smart or because they're clever, insightful, creative. That's not the first trait that people look for who are leaders. They look for people that are and that exhibit and exemplify credibility. In other words, you know where you stand with them. They are honest with you. They are, they in practice veracity, truthfulness, and truth-telling, and it's so, so important. It is amazing how we must see that the truth is something, when you see it, it's unmistakable. Don't, don't, don't believe a lie. Satan is a liar. He is opposite of the truth. 
And he illuminates darkness and makes darkness seem as if it's, that's the way to go. But you need to say, God, show me the truth. Reveal the truth to me. And give me the boldness and the bravery and the courage to follow hard after the truth. And when you deal with people that you know they're shady and duplicitous, say, God, reveal the truth to me. If you feel an awkwardness in your heart, don't ignore that. Don't just suppress it. We Christians have a problem. The problem is we tend to then always want to lead with this foot off. We're just accepting everything. No. Lead with wisdom and discernment, not with this gullibility. And so ask God, God, show me the truth. And teach me how to follow hard after that. In the fall of 2018, in Australia, this bride found out that her fiancé, that she nicknamed Alex for the sake of anonymity, the night before she used to be married, she's in the hotel, fancy hotel, with her bridesmaid, they're talking, they're laughing. All of a sudden, her phone blows up. She gets this text from a number that she doesn't recognize. And the text message says, with supporting copies, supporting documentation, supporting photographs, saying that, how could you marry Alex? Do you really know this guy, who he is? Now, she had been dating for a number of years. He's deeply connected with her and her family. And this guy had been living a double life, fooling around with women, and night before the marriage, she gets this text. When she shows her girlfriend, they said, call off the wedding immediately. She's so brokenhearted, she doesn't do anything. She just sits there numb. The next day, the marriage day, the wedding day, she dons her wedding outfit, and she has something in store for Alex. <laughs> As she's walking down the aisle, the bride says, There'll be no wedding today to her guest. It seems Alex is not who I thought he was. And you can hear the oohs and ahs. And she turns to her guest and continues once more and said, I love all of you. And as horrible as this is, I'm glad you're all here. There will not be a wedding reception today. But instead, there will be a celebration of honesty finding true love and falling your heart even when it hurts. Now that's pretty powerful. Hats off to her because what she's saying in essence, I don't want to marry someone that already you know, has built up a habit of being a liar and being duplicitous and being insincere because I'll be in store for a whole life of misery and I don't want to do that. I'm not suggesting a person can't bounce back from someone who's had an affair or someone who's, been, you know, who's, who's lived that kind of darkness for a period of time, but not for someone who's, who, who's doing that. And then just, just, just lying? They're so used to it? I remember a woman in my congregation, a dear lady, she came up to me and said, Pastor, I need your guidance and wisdom. I said, tell me what's going on. She said, I think my husband's having an affair. So I said, give me some more information. She says, I, I don't feel right. Even when he knows I feel that he's having an affair and he denies it vehemently. In fact, he says to me, let's go and pray. 
so that God can comfort you. Now, I'm showing you the level of depravity. I say to her, and it's only twice I've said that in 32 years of pastoral ministry, hire a private investigator. And she did. And sure enough, this guy was, he's involved. But see, the issue again, an affair, that's forgivable, that could be worked through. I've seen marriages bounce back and become stronger than ever. But when someone is willing to make you no longer understand your, your discernment, when your internal compass, they mess with it so you don't know right from wrong, black from white, and can't be able to discriminate as to what you feel, that speaks of demonic depravity to the end where you got to say, this thing is not just wrong, this thing is dastardly. There's another level. And so I want you to see that the truth is not only unavoidable and the truth is not only unmistakable, the truth is unregrettable. Never regret when you got to really walk in the truth and live according to the truth. Never regret that. In verse 45, Jesus is still speaking to these guys. Nobody stoned him. And he says to them, Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. See, Jesus, man, he just really knows how to just... I mean, when you walk around Jesus, you got to just drop the mic every time the guy's speaking. Just, I got no more mics. I got no more mics. I'm dropping the mic. He's saying these things that boom, boom. Jesus is saying, look, you can't be afraid of the truth. And you can't regret the truth. you got to let the truth change you. Like the Australian bride, she made a very courageous decision, and I applaud her for that. And we have to be able to have no regrets when we know the truth. And we make hard decisions in keeping with the truth. It's not like the Milky Way commercial where the guy's so in love with the Milky Way bar, he's eating, he's chewing it, and he's tattooing this big biker guy, and the biker wants to have no regrets on his, on, on his shoulder, and so the guy misspells it, no regrets. See, you, even if you misspell it, you need to know with the truth, there are no regrets. <laughs> the truth is unregrettable because the truth is medicinal. The truth is, it, it's healing. The truth is redemptive. Now, I admit the truth sometimes, it hurts. It's painful. But Jesus teaches that whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And you can't be afraid of the truth. Even Shakespeare, that memorable line in the, in the play Hamlet, he says, to thine own self, be true. See, sometimes we lie to ourselves in order to avoid making difficult decisions. We just keep lying. We keep deceiving. And we can't do that. You know, a lot of technical, psychological, and sociological studies have been done on the value of honesty and truth-telling. In fact, in 2012, the University of Notre Dame was awarded a study by the John Templeton Foundation. And what they discovered in the area of honesty was that honesty has a direct impact on your mental and physical health. It is amazing that our body is able to spring back mentally and spring back physically. Why? By living a truthful, honest life. In 
the news today, there's a whole big mess on the college admission scandals. These individuals that have means, deep pockets, they're paying for and bribing officials to get their kids into pedigree schools. In fact, Felicity Huffman and her family, she was found guilty in the courts there in Boston of, uh, of paying $15,000 for SAT proctor to doctor up the SAT scores of her daughter, Felicity. And so she was caught. And <laughs> she just... <laughs> and, and so she fessed up. In fact, here's what she said. I'm in full acceptance of my guilt. And with deep regret and shame over what I've done, I accept full responsibility for my actions and will accept the consequences that stem from my actions. Ms. Huffman goes on to apologize by saying, to the students who work hard every day to get into college and to their parents who make tremendous sacrifices to support their children and to do so honestly. Then she concludes her apology statement by saying, my desire to help my daughter is no excuse to break the law or engage in dishonesty. See, I can respect her because she accepted the truth of her bad choices. And she has practiced and modeled for us that the truth is unregrettable. And I just want you to understand that. The truth indeed is unregrettable. It was several years ago that I was speaking up in Rochester, New York, and after this conference, this young man about maybe 25, 26 years old made a beeline through the crowd, and somehow he felt this close connection with me as I spoke, and he said, can I ask you a question? And so I said, let's walk and talk. And so we're walking and we're talking. And he said, I have a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I just came to Christ about six months ago, and my life has really changed. I said, what's the problem? He said, prior to me making this, this, this decision to serve Jesus Christ, I stole money from one of my friends. And now it's bothering me. And he says, I said, what are you going to do? He said, that's why I'm talking to you. He said, I, I don't have any money to pay that person back. I said, well, you have a choice right now. Here are the two choices. Choice A, not in any order of importance, but choice A, ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life. Stuff it down, get hardened, become more desensitized to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life, and don't pay your friend back and hope it blows over. Choice B, talk to your friend, be honest with your friend, and establish a repayment plan, even it may take you multiple years to pay, them, pay your friend back. But when you do that, you will be able to practice truthfulness and honesty and integrity, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit will lift, and you'll continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. These are your choices. What will you do? Became silent. I didn't say anything because I wanted the silence to speak volumes. I paused. He remained silent. 
And then he looked at me. And I looked back at him. And he said, I'm going to choose this option, option B. I'm going to talk with my friend, and I don't know how he's going to respond, but I want to do right by God and be truthful to me and to the world around me. I want you to know the value of truth. I gave you three little traits of truth. And I pray that you will grow in the truth. And as you grow in the truth, you'll become more godly in your walk with the Lord and more authentic with the world around you. That's my message. Let's talk about truth.